Hello, this is Jane Perry, and welcome to the Sound Architect podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Sound Architect podcast. I am your host, Sam Hughes. And as you just heard, today I am joined by actress Jane Perry. Thanks for joining me today, Jane. How are you? Oh, I'm really well, thanks. I'm, I'm really well. It's so fun to be here. Excellent. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. So before we dive into any of your recent projects, I'm curious, you've had quite extensive acting experience from on-camera acting to voices for games and animation. How did this kind of crazy journey begin and what made you choose this as your career? <laughs> well, I have been an actress, I guess, since I was a teenager, really. I, I kind of um, was, you know, part of the, the drama class in my high school. And then I did a bit of bit of amateur acting after high school, trying to, you know, just decide what I wanted to do with my life. Yeah. And then one day I thought, you know what, this is what I want to do, um, much to my parents' chagrin. Um, <laughs> so I packed my bags. I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, and um, which is, um, you know, a Midwestern city in, in Canada. And uh, at that time, there was some very lovely theaters uh, there, but not much in the way of theater training. So I moved to the West Coast and, and started studying acting out there in Vancouver. Oh, nice. And um, yeah, it was lovely being out there. It's such a beautiful part of the world. Um, and when I finished my training in Vancouver, my training was in the theater. And um, that is in many ways where my heart and soul still lies is in the theater, but I I uh, haven't done it very much since I moved to the UK, but I'll get on to that later. But <laughs> After I finished my uh, my theater studies in Vancouver, as you you probably know, Sam, Vancouver is also a real hot spot for voice work. Oh yeah, uh, loads of cartoons and um, loads of games and all manner of things. So uh, I was asked by my agent if I'd be interested in in doing some dubbing, and I was like, Yeah, sure. I don't know what that is, but I'll do it. And um, <laughs> nice. so my my first voice jobs were dubbing Japanese cartoons into English. So I worked on Ronin Warriors and Dragon Ball Z and these sort of kind of cult classics. Um, and uh, that, was, uh, that was my entree into the world of voice acting. And I really, really enjoyed it. So it's always, the voice part of it has always been there right from the beginning, even though it wasn't always my, my main focus. Sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's amazing because like... Um... Going straight into something like Dragon Ball Z, that's quite a hyper um, intense animation series as well, isn't it? It's quite high yeah. energy. It so is quite high energy. What yeah. was that like? Just stepping in and you're like, yeah, okay, I'll give it a shot. And then what kind of directions were you given to just start with this crazy anime? Well, I think because it was dubbing, you know, when you're dubbing something, you get so much information from the artist who originally recorded it right, in yeah. terms of, even though it's in Japanese, but of course I, I did also have the subtitle. So I knew what I was, you know, of course I would have to know what I was saying because I was saying the words um, <laughs> in, in English. Um, but you get a lot of information, like intention, and, and you get a real sense of what's going on in the scene. And so you start to pick up all those, those cues. And I have to say, it was just great fun. Um, the team, you know, the sound engineer and the director, they were such lovely guys. And um, we just got to know each other really well. And um, and it was just a really, really fun experience. Uh, and I enjoyed it hugely. Yeah, that's amazing. And you say that your kind of original history was in the theatre. Yes, yeah. And so you've kind of done every style of acting, shall we say. <laughs> and every how, style. Every style. <laughs> and how does it feel for you from your perspective when you have to act in a different format? Do you actively think about it and change certain factors or 
it's always fascinated me, you know, when you just transfer the skills, but they're always slightly different, aren't they? Yes, they are slightly different. Definitely, if you're on stage, you know, uh, you're going to have a different sort of skill base that you'll be drawing from versus when you're in front of a camera. And then, of course, when you're in a sound studio doing, you know, a computer game or a cartoon or what have you, it's a, a different set of skills. I think at the heart of it all, um, there are skills that never change as an actor. And those are the skills that allow you to deliver a specific, uh, multi layered, um, authentic, if that's the right word, performance so that you can deliver a character that has some truth to it. Th those elements never change. But of course, the technical side of, of it is going to change according to the media that you're working in. And um, for my part, I, I really feel as a voice actress that all of that training that I had in the theater has helped me so much um, with the characters that I play in computer games, for example. Um, because there's basic, you know, in acting, there's a kind of vocabulary. Uh, I guess it depends what kind of actor you are. But a very common vocabulary in acting is based around goals. You know, what do you want out of the scene? Yeah. Who are you talking to? What do you want them to do? What do you hope to achieve in the scene? And um, and that, that sort of approach, you know... It will be if if I was in a theater play, for example, I'd be coming from that place, and I I'm still coming from that place when I do computer games. So that's all very helpful to me. Yeah, and it's amazing how they transfer, but they alter and evolve, you know, to to match the genre and format. Always fascinating. Yeah. So you've been in such a broad range of these genres and many different types of characters. Mm. What would you say was the most challenging role for you in terms of a new genre or new character? Wow. Gosh, that's a really good question. Oh, I suppose there was um, one thing I struggled with in uh, in the theater was being um, an understudy. And uh, I've understudied um, a couple of times in my life. And the first time was uh, for this Shakespearean theater company in Vancouver called Bard on the Beach. Um, and um, there was a production of As You Like It. And the lead actress, unfortunately slipped a disc in her back after oh, opening no. night and she was playing Rosalind which is a very beautiful role and I played that part in theater school um, so the artistic director of the company um, he was you know really in a bind because actually for that production there were no understudies but because I had played it two years previous he thought well maybe Jane could come in and, and take over the role so uh, I agreed to do that and <laughs> which was sort of mad um, <laughs> so we basically had um, a couple of days to get me folded in, into the production. And um, and it was, um, you know, it's a very successful theater company, Bard on the Beach, and, and it was a full house uh, my first night on stage. And oh, they wow. It was, yeah. And I, they said, look, you can go on stage with a book if you like. Um, and I said, yep, that would be great. <laughs> and I remember standing in the wings thinking, I have, the last time I played this part was two years ago. We've gone through it very briefly over the weekend. And now I have to step out in front of an audience of, I don't know how many people there were, maybe a thousand, let's say. Oh, man, that's and, and, and It was bloody terrifying. And um, I, I remember about, you know, just as I was about to step on stage, I kind of went blind, like suddenly everything just went white. And I thought to myself, why? 
am I doing this? Why would I agree to do this this literally? <laughs> Why am I crazy? Yeah, this is the actor's nightmare. And and I think that was one of the most difficult things I did, but also one of the most joyous because, you know, you, you're standing at the bottom of, the, of that mountain looking up thinking, I can't do this. It, this is not possible. And then suddenly you just step up and you keep going and you get to the top of the mountain and you've done it and the audience is clapping and everyone's smiling and there's this collective sense with the audience included included of oh my god we did it we got through and it was okay and actually everybody had a good time it's such a magical experience isn't it it was a magical experience and then sam i i did it again i don't know why but i did it again here in <laughs> in london i was understudying uh the wonderful anne marie duff in um eugene o'neill's strange interlude at the national theater oh, awesome. and um yeah she showed at work and uh, up at work and she's a real trooper but she had uh norovirus and oh wow uh, really wanted to go on but it just was not possible so once again there i was in the wings thinking why why, <laughs> why did i do why this why do again? i do this yeah so I think I would highlight those as the two most difficult and challenging <laughs> parts of my career. Understudies. My goodness, they are amazing people. Yeah, I mean, incredible. And I can imagine in theatre as well, it's way more terrifying because of the live interaction element. You have the audience right there in front of you. You know, it's not like, cut, do that again, or, okay, hang on, let me do that again. It's literally they're right there watching you, waiting. That's it. That That is it. There's no going back. If you fluff a line or you screw something up, you just have to exercise instant forgiveness, get right back into the moment and just keep plowing forward. Man, that's amazing to me. And does, so people talk about it in different ways. Some say the stage fright goes away. Some say it doesn't. And, you know, every time you go up on stage, is it still just as terrifying? Does it get any easier? Well, I think um, I, I think being an understudy is a particularly terrifying experience for me. Maybe you know there are seasoned understudies who are very accustomed to that, and 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 perhaps for them it's not quite as terrifying. So that is um, sort of an isolated incident in terms of the terror that one experiences. But um, when I am filming, for example, or I haven't done a stage play for a while, but I, I should imagine if I did, um, I would always have this great sense of of nerve. Nervousness uh, and anticipation. Yeah. I don't think if it crossed into terror, I probably wouldn't continue with it. But it's um, it's an adrenaline rush, and I, I I do actually think that you know many actors are kind of addicted to that. Suddenly, you've got all these you know free drugs <laughs> circulating in your system <laughs> that that make you feel incredibly alive and very present. Um, and um, so I I think that feeling will always be there. Stage fright itself, where you actually are so afraid of being on stage that, that you can't manage it, is, is something I have never, thankfully, experienced. I, I'm, I'm very interested in the idea of it, though, because, you know, some uh, very experienced actors can, can have stage fright sort of midstream in their careers. And, yeah. you know, that's a psychological thing. It can come out of nowhere. Absolutely. And something's going on in it, and it, that, that needs to be unpacked a little bit to discover what that is. But um, fortunately, that hasn't happened to me yet. Who knows? Maybe it will be an adventure further down the line in my, in my life. Hopefully it never happens. <laughs> I hope so too. <laughs> so one of your most acclaimed roles over, over the years is Diana Burnwood in the Hitman franchise, which actually turns 20 this year. Yes. Which is crazy. That's just flying by since the first Hitman. It's, it's insane. I know. Yeah. How was your first experience with the character? Well, um, 
I was involved in Hitman, uh, as you might know, Sam, uh, not as Diana initially, but as an in-game tutorial for uh, Hitman Absolution. Oh, yes. So it was it was just my voice, uh, as you hear it now, just sort of describing what's going on, what you need to do, and what you can use as a, a weapon and all that sort of stuff. Um, and I think when we were recording that, they sort of asked me to fold in a bit of a character. So it's not just a, you know, here's what you do and here's how you do it. So yeah. that there was, um, you know, a bit of life to it. And um, I guess they really liked that. They they sort of liked what we had created together with that. And they wanted to take it a little bit further. So they then invited me to become Diana Burnwood in the Hitman series. Um and they said, you know, we want you to do it with a British accent, at which point I, I sort of freaked out. I was like, well, I'm, 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 I, I can't do that. And um, and they said, no, 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 just give it a go. We, we love you and let's try it. So we did. And um, and that was um, that was about eight years ago. And of course, I've been playing her ever since. And I am so delighted um, to be a part of the Hitman franchise. It's first of all, the creative team behind it are, are really super lovely people. And I've enjoyed working with them so much. Um, and the game itself, you know, need I say more, it's a fantastic uh, computer game. I love the style of it. I, I love the exotic locations. And it's it's a very alluring, sort of sexy, sort of wonderful thing with great characters. Um, so being Diana is um, is an honor. And the fans are so lovely as well. Yeah, it's got such a great fan base. And when returning for Hitman 3, what was it like to kind of have this recurring character? Did you feel kind of more comfortable and just kind of like, okay, I know how this goes. You know, I know what to do. Definitely. I do. Yeah. I, I have felt that way about her. I've gotten to know Diana, you know, over the years. Diana is a very consistent person in terms of how she is in the world. So I I feel like I know her inside out. And every now and then there might be somebody you know, who's working with me when we're recording, um, who hasn't worked with Diana as much as I have. And they'll, they'll sometimes say, well, you know, you know what she'd do. So I'll just let you decide how to, you know, <laughs> nice. how to approach this particular piece of text. Um, it's uh, a wonderful thing to have that familiarity with the character because um, it's not every computer game that sort of has that longevity or it's not every TV show and certainly in the theater you don't have that that kind of longevity so the familiarity that that breeds with the character but also with the the people that you're working with is um, a real delight it creates almost a kind of sense of, of community and I really appreciate that yeah definitely and it's special when you get a project like that where you do get to return to the same old friendly faces and the same old characters in the script and the kind of way the game works you know, it's kind of like a, like a family, like you say, community feel. Absolutely. Yeah. So throughout all this time of um, working on camera, working in voiceover, working in animation, how do you think the kind of industry has changed over the last few years? Because with technology and everything coming along, like getting gigs and kind of working as an actor has changed dramatically. Pardon the mm. pun. <laughs> yes. Do you mean in computer games specifically or across the board? Um, I guess across the board, really, but also in, in video games especially, it's kind of rapidly changed, I would say. Yes, I would say so too. I think um, I haven't done motion capture for a little while, but when I was doing it, I, I sort of clocked that every game I did, the technology had advanced that much more as though, you know, it, 
the technology is constantly being observed and tweaked and ameliorated. And yeah. it's just, it, it is, and that process obviously hasn't stopped. And I think the changes in computer games is unbelievable. Uh, the quality and what they're able to do is is just fantastic. And it's been really interesting to watch that progression. And I, I feel that it's... um. You know, it's a genre that's rivaling feature films right now in terms of its ability to entertain. And games developers have created a world that you can get completely lost in, that you can enter into for pure entertainment. And I think on the note of other genres, such as theater, film, TV, I I do feel that what we're going through right now with COVID-19 and our Intense reliance on technology to get us us through is going to change um, theater and possibly film and TV as well. Theater, in terms of how it's made right now, it's that that has just gone through a huge tectonic shift. It's been a, a very difficult time for theaters around the world, devastating in many instances. But there is this, uh, you know, because theaters are made up of creative people, they have. Uh, banded together and, and created different ways of telling their stories and, and creating their productions, which is very inspiring. And I wonder if some of that might stick. You know, I think I think uh, the Zoom experience that we're all familiar with now has its uh, challenges for sure. But I, I think people are also discovering, oh, my goodness, I could actually do this and I could reach people in a very different demographic or a diff- different part of the world. So it'll be interesting to see how our experience this year in 2020 will inform the creative output of theatre. Film and TV, I think, you know, the way it's created will probably stay v- pretty much the same. I'm sure there'll be a few changes here and there, technology-wise, but I think the way we experience it as viewers will probably shift, especially yeah. in film. So that'll be interesting. Um, I was talking to my husband about that last night, about how we really miss the cinema experience, you know, yeah. just going going to the cinema and watching a film with other people. It's a very nice thing to do. And I think that that, um, we'll see what happens, but I think that that will also be compromised a little bit. Yeah. And it's interesting that you bring up um, the fact that the technology has helped change the industries as well, because I've already noticed that a lot more focus seems to have shifted towards voice acting and acting from home and, you know, using home studio setup. So it's kind of fascinating that the spotlight has kind of shifted because obviously now acting is a lot um, more difficult to do on camera at the moment or in theatres, as you say. That is so true. Yeah, absolutely. I'm sitting in my little home studio right now. It's this little pod and um, that I've kind of created. And um, I remember when lockdown first started, I was very lucky because I already had my home studio. Um, but many of my friends were calling me like, oh, my God, Jane, how do I do this? Like, what do I do? What do I need? And I'm like, OK, <laughs> take a breath. Here's what you need. And um, for a period of time, you you could not buy a microphone for love nor money. <laughs> no, know? yeah, everyone was I, just setting up studios from home everywhere. Exactly. And I, I'm sure you had, Sam, probably loads of people calling you saying, what do I do, Sam? Yeah. How do I make this work? <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> yeah. So um, I do think that will change things as well. Um, certainly in voiceovers, there could very well be a lot of people who will just continue working from home. Um, a, because it's convenient. B, maybe it's cheaper for, you know, the producers. Um, so yeah, it'll be interesting to see how that transpires as well. For my part, I have a, a great big, huge dog who 
really likes oh, to be by nice. my, my side. Yeah, he's great, except when I'm recording. And sometimes of course. he falls asleep in the background and there's this little <laughs> snoring. <laughs> nice. And I'm like, Harley, wake up. <laughs> Amazing. So what would you say to anyone that was considering a career in acting or voice acting specifically? Well, I would say if that is something you really want to do, then I absolutely encourage you to go for it. Um, I work with a number of people as a kind of coach, actually, um, for uh, for voiceover, but also other forms of acting as well. Um, I think it is um, a wonderful thing to do. I think anybody who's entering into that field will also have some knowledge of the fact that it's very competitive. It's not always easy. Um, it can be a wonderful way to make a living. And then there are times when it's a very difficult way to make a living because of the lack of consistency uh, in in this career. Yeah. But for my own part, it has brought me a huge amount of joy and, and pleasure. And so... Therefore, if somebody comes to me and says, I want to do this, I would never, ever discourage them. I would uh, find ways to encourage them to find out who they are, um, because I think you need a certain amount of self-knowledge and resilience to be in an industry that can be challenging. And then also, if you have lots of self-knowledge about yourself as an actor, then you can really start to use that and build on that to create really interesting and and, and wonderful characters. Um, And then, of course, there's, you know, lots of different skills to learn, as as we were talking about earlier, depending on, you know, what kind of acting you want to do. But I live in London and um, I have been working with um, students at uh, the Guildhall uh, School of Music and Drama. I teach them voiceover. Yeah, it's really nice. I teach them voiceover technique. And I'm always conscious of the fact that these are, you know, they're studying acting. Um, And probably most of them want to, you know, act on the stage in the West End or they want to act in film and TV. But I always say to them, do it all. Do everything. Because in London, you can really diversify because London has it all. It has everything, pretty much. It has everything. And there's a handful of cities in the world that have everything. So why not just do it all so you can diversify as an actor? Do your voice work, computer games, uh, act on stage, do a fringe show. Um, And then, of course, your film and your TV and your independent film and online projects and webcasts and things like that. There's just so much to do. So... um, uh, I guess that's a very long-winded way uh, of me saying, Sam, I would always encourage people, so long as their <laughs> eyes are wide open. Yes, it's uh, very encouraging when someone like yourself kind of advises which things to do in terms of from their experience. And what I wanted to draw on from that experience was the advice on that initial step. So acting is very personal, right? Yes. And you have to step, literally step out there, put yourself there and just kind of perform for people. And the first few times you do it, you have to kind of expect that you're not going to be the best. Mm. And how do you get over that initial fear where you kind of know you're not going to be amazing at first, but you still have to just keep putting yourself out there to get better? Yeah, that's a really good question, because I think it's very applicable. Um, I think what you have to do is, first of all, play the long game. And knowing, understanding that We all have to grow. We all evolve. We can't be perfect right out of the starting gate. So you take the long view and understand that if you keep doing what you're doing, you are going to learn, you're going to progress, you're going to get better and better. So long as you weave into that a sense of humility and an openness to learning and to receiving 
knowledge from others. And I think sometimes in acting, you know, because you're right, you step out, there's there's an audience watching you. There's also people who are in a position to hire you for the next job. Yeah. <laughs> so it creates this kind of weird tension of, I can't fail. Like, failure is not an option. I have to be good. And of course, when you're doing that, when you come from that place, you create tension. And tension will kill your creativity. And it will make you contract. And suddenly, you won't be open to receiving information, learning, because you might be so scared that your defenses go up. So it's this really interesting dance that you have to play with yourself. And ultimately, it comes down to having faith and being full of forgiveness for yourself for those moments when you, you haven't been perfect. And just really believing that um, people can see what you're doing. They will be able to see and witness your evolution um, if you just stay true to a sense of integrity. So that would be my um, two cents about that. That's an amazing answer in terms of how to get to that step. And I just find it so interesting as a career choice because you really do have to be prepared for so much. And it's one of those subjective fields where you have to decide at some point when you're like, okay, I think I'm good enough to actually do this and then just mm -hmm. go and do it and audition like mad. And then also it's really tough because everyone has a bad day. You know, everyone does their job, but you can't be 110% every single day. Everyone has this odd day. Yeah. And with acting, if you have that, you have so many people being like, oh, well, that was a bit naff, wasn't it? Like, oh, oh dear. What's going on there? And it's not really yeah. fair. Like, you know, everyone's allowed a bad day or like a bad project or, you know, not sure. everything does amazing. And it's just so interesting to me that acting has that about it. Well, the interesting thing to keep in mind is that, um, you know, when you're standing on a stage, you can start to feel like, oh, my God, this is all down to me. Or if you're standing in front of a camera, yeah. I have to do this. This is I have to deliver this. But what you must keep in mind is that you're speaking text that's written by a writer. And that writing is probably going to be pretty good. Otherwise, it wouldn't have made it in, in front of the, the camera or on stage. Um, you've worked with a director. You've got other performers. You've probably got a very nice set behind you or, or some, some sort of structure around you that somebody else put thought into. Or you're wearing a costume that somebody put great consideration into. So it's always good to keep in mind that it is a creative effort. Yes, you might be speaking the text, and let's say you flubbed a line or, or I don't know, you tripped on stage or whatever. Um, God forbid, that's terrible. Oh, wow. yeah, but <laughs> the, the audience is, they are watching you, but they're also taking in the creative input of a whole bunch of other people. So I think the thing that's good to remember is it actually isn't all down to me. I am not completely responsible for this whole production. And there are other people who've worked just as hard as I have to tell the story, to make things clear for the audience. And I, I, I think that the, as an actor, it's important to remember that, A, getting back to the humility thing again, and B, just to take the pressure off a little bit. Yeah, definitely. And it's a very comforting answer as well. You know, you don't think about it too much. Um, I mean, obviously, everyone knows it's a team effort. But it must be nicer in the moment to be able to go, come on, we're working on this as a team. It's not just me that has to do all this. That's right. If if I have a bad day on stage, and we all do, and it happens, you know, I, I just don't feel good or maybe I'm sick or whatever. Yeah. I'm speaking words. I'm still speaking the words that somebody else wrote. And, and that can be enough sometimes. That can be enough. And also, it's very hard sometimes for actors in the moment to, to judge themselves. We might think, oh my God, I'm absolutely shit today. But um, the way our performance is experienced by our audience, they might not feel that. 
you know, we just, we don't know what they think or feel about our performance. So no, yeah, of some course. people, uh, and I love this expression, it's um, how we occur to others in, in some ways is, is none of our business. Uh, don't worry about what they think. Just, you know, focus on just being at peace in yourself and, and don't worry about the result. That result is none of your business. So long as you're working to be clear in what you're saying, you've rehearsed, you've done your work, you're going to be okay. It's all right. That's an awesome way to look at it. And I think you have to kind of maintain that because otherwise you would just lose yourself to the pressure because you would go crazy. Totally. I mean, I received, when I was an actress at the Shaw Festival, I I had one season where I I really did not do well. I was just playing two roles that, I don't know, they just weren't a good fit for me. And I got, for the first time in my life, I got bad reviews. And I was devastated. I I was just, like, I felt like crawling into a hole and dying. (laughs) Yeah, of course. It's terrible. It's absolutely awful. Um, But it was a really good experience for myself in the end because I thought, oh, right, you know, maybe, maybe I was working a little bit too hard for approval anyway. Maybe the focus of my acting was about, more about, oh, I hope everybody likes me. And that's an easy thing to do. It's understandable. Instead of thinking, who's my character? What do I want? You know, am I getting it? Those things that I mentioned at the, at the beginning, you know, the basics of acting, objectives, goals, yeah. all that sort of stuff. Those bad reviews made me think, okay, I need to readjust my my focus here. And it doesn't matter what other people think. What matters is, am I doing my work to the best of my ability so that I have integrity in what I'm doing? And am I working so that my scene partners are receiving lots of great stuff from me so that they can act opposite me? Or if, you know, if you're in the the sound studio, am I working in such a way that my director is like, yeah, great. Okay, well, let's try this. I'm giving them, I'm giving the director and the um, the client lots of wonderful things to work with. That should be the focus. And so that was a great learning experience for me getting those bad reviews. And now I, I don't know, I don't really, I don't, I don't really pay too much attention, but I suppose even if I did get a bad review now, I, I would, um, I would not let it destroy me. I might think, did something bad go wrong there? Is there something that I need to readjust, but I wouldn't let it tear me apart inside? Yeah, wow. And it's crazy when you think about how many times people in the acting field have to deal with that and have to read things or just ignore them. Yes. Like, just don't read the reviews. Exactly. Don't read the comment section, as they say. Yeah, for sure. Well, that's good advice too, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so I really wanted to ask you as well, like, what have you worked on recently that you can actually tell us about at the moment? Um, well, I've worked on a few games uh, recently, and um, one of them, uh, which is very exciting, is Cyberpunk. Um, oh, amazing. Yeah, it is amazing. It looks super cool. Oh, it does, doesn't it? Yeah, I think it's going to be great. Um, so I've been working on that, I think, for oh over a year, maybe. Um and uh, I play a really fun role in it. Um, she's a great gal. Oh, my God. She's a fabulous, uh, strong, brave, courageous, hard woman. <laughs> Amazing. She's a little bit different than Diana in that she has a, quite a few more rougher edges, I'd say. And, Sounds like a lot of fun to play. Oh, she's great fun. And it's funny because um, sometimes when I'm working on a computer game, I, I feel like I just growl through the whole thing. Like, ah, oh, I just feel like that, that sort of oh, sentiment is behind almost every line I deliver. Amazing. Yeah, so she's... Um, 
you know, she's a basically a kick-ass kind of gal who gets out there and gets the job done. Um, Very stress-free afterwards. You oh, know, it's, just you know, <laughs> if you arrive with stress and you need to kind of let it go, by the time you leave that session, it's gone. You just sort of float out like <laughs> just zen. Oh, everything is well in the world now. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, yeah. So um, that's a very exciting one and I, I can't wait to see how it's going to be received. Well, we're very excited to hear you again in the future as well as see you, I'm sure, in some uh, films. Oh, yes, right. Yeah, I was um, also filming. I was very lucky to actually film sort of during lockdown. There there wasn't very much happening, but I did manage to get cast in a BBC TV series called The Syndicate, which is about... um, Oh, nice. Yeah, it's a sweet program. It's about these... uh, It's about... You know, people, a group of people who buy a lottery ticket, so they have a lottery syndicate. Um, that's a great premise for a TV series. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So obviously there's a small group of people. They win, or they think they win, whatever, £150 million, and then something happens to the ticket, and the rest of the series is them trying to to figure out how to get the ticket back and, and obviously how to get their money. So I, I play a character in that. I play a French. Um, th- this one is set in Monaco. And uh, one of the protagonists has a dog, um, so I play the manager of a, a kennel. And uh, I get to speak with a French accent, and uh, I take care of the dog, and, uh, you know, um, it's all like that. So that was great fun to do. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So sadly, I have one more question for you today, and it's sometimes a bit of a doozy. So if you could go back in time and give your past self one piece of advice, what would it be? I would probably say to myself... Don't worry so much and just be confident. Um, I used to be such a worrywart when I was younger. I'd worry about everything. And I think now that I'm older, I just look back and I think, gosh, all those things I worried about, it was just not necessary. It was a lot of energy spent on things that actually really weren't that important. Yeah. And I can see, you know, sometimes the younger people in my life now kind of going down the same path. And if ever I'm able to persuade them to step back a little bit and, and not get so wound up in, in worry um, than I do. Because I, I think it's, um, you know, when you're so worried, it closes the door oh, to, yeah. to other things that are wonderful about life. So I think that that would be it. I find that interesting because I'd say the same thing about myself. And it's one of those things where the cycle continues, right? Because mm. you kind of learn from experience that you shouldn't have worried so much. And then you see everyone else doing the same thing and you're like, hey, you shouldn't worry so much. And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah whatever. <laughs> and then they get older and they go, yeah, I worried way too much. And you're like, yeah, right. Like- <laughs> exactly. I suppose that's a part of growing, isn't it? It's a process for many, many people. And um, we gain confidence out of our accomplishments, too. I think that does make a difference as well. So that's one of the great things about getting older. Yes, more mature, shall we say. More mature. Quite right, Sam. More mature. Quite right. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have to say, Jane, it's been absolutely awesome having you on the show today. And I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. I have. It's been a delight speaking with you, Sam. Likewise. And I hope we can see you return again in the near future. That sounds great. That would be lovely. We'll talk about all those games I'm not allowed to talk about now. Yes, definitely. (laughs) I look forward to it. All right, then. All the best. Take care. Bye. Thanks again. Take care. Hey, everyone. This is Sam. Thanks very much for listening to the Sound Architect podcast today. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If so, there are many ways you can support the show, which is incredibly appreciated. Obviously, there's the financial way where you can support us on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash sounddesignuk. However, there are many other ways which also help, such as liking, subscribing, reviewing, commenting, and sharing via whatever channel you listen on. 
Thanks so much for your support already. It really is a work of passion for me, and I'd love to keep sharing the knowledge from all these talented and wonderful people. Thanks again, and catch you on the next episode. Hello, this is Tim from Tonebenders. Check out our new double episode about the sound of the hit series, The Queen's Gambit. Part one features Eric Hain on the mixing of the series, and part two talks to the sound editorial and Foley team. Listen to these new episodes wherever you find your podcasts or at ToneBendersPodcast.com. Hi, this is Michael Helms, host of the Location Sound Podcast. Recently, I spoke with production sound mixer and sound designer Pamela Shing Berman, based out of Los Angeles, California. She talks about pivoting during COVID-19 and producing content for She Votes and also her involvement with women in audio. Check out the latest episode.